this, the Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Well, uh, there's barbecue chips in the house, so I've got to eat them all. All right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So let's get this over with so I can get back to eating them all. Uh, Right. I hate when we when uh, there's barbecue chips in the house. That's all I can think about. So it's not a good thing, Bruce. It was. It's not quite as bad though as the Edmonton Oilers' performance tonight. A sleepy, sloppy performance highlighted by a hideous first period with absolutely atrocious slot coverage. Just the, some of the worst defensive play we've seen this year. Mm-hmm. And it really bugged me. But mm-hmm. I'm over that now. I've gotten over it. So we will talk about it in cold and uh, clinical fashion. At least I'll try to. Bruce, this is our, how are you doing? Well, it's my son's birthday, and the Oilers treated him to such a wonderful game. The last time they played this rotten a game, it was my wife's birthday. Yikes. So, yeah, that was the Carolina game. Good thing there's game. only three McCurdy birthdays a, a year. Yeah, yeah. And I, they, my, my birthday occurred on an off day this year, so. Oh, thank goodness. Between the two Vancouver games, though, so it wasn't like it was all good. <laughs> it, you got a double you got a double ender there it was like yeah double yeah, header i was chewing on the 8-1 loss and then uh they, yeah anyway yeah all right let's just let's get through this bruce we will um uh do our two good things two bad things and two numbers podcast with one conundrum and the conundrum is actually the best part of the podcast because it's actually a real conundrum it's very it's uh it's an interesting question all right bruce what is your good thing uh my good thing is the Oilers are now done with the all the florida teams on the schedule uh they played them back to back in florida there uh uh three four weeks ago they played back to back in edmonton now they went oh four and oh and in the process of those games, they allowed, let me see now, 5, 10, 16, 23 goals. And in the process of losing to those teams in regulation all four times, they lost to a Tampa Bay team that was missing Andre Vasilevsky, a Florida team that was missing uh, Alexander Barkov, a Tampa team that was missing Victor Hedman, and a Florida team that was missing Aaron Ekblad. Like, all four times they played, the other guys that were missing one of their very top players. And it just didn't matter. The Oilers could not take any advantage of any of those situations. And this year they got flat out owned by the, uh, at least on the scoreboard. I mean, if you look at the shot clock, you could say, well, Edmonton outshot Tampa 100 to 48 in their two regulation losses. But what difference does that make at the end of the day? They didn't get her done. Against either team, so the I'm great eight shots. Sour. I'm not a fan of Florida in general, and certainly not of their hockey teams. So I, I'll say this: Florida Panthers. I knew they would. They, they'd be itching tonight. They lost their last two games: four nothing in Vancouver and four nothing in Seattle. And you just knew they'd be coming in with a burr in their saddle, and they just took it out on Edmonton. And they were by far the better team in this game. Not they, close. 
they took it out on Edmonton, Bruce, but Edmonton, you can't allow. There was such terrible individual mistakes that you cannot allow um, mm-hmm. that that were the difference in this game. Because in, in the, like, I mean, there was some score effects, but Edmonton had 14 grade A shots compared to 11 for the Panthers. <laughs> Edmonton had nine five alarm shots, which went on average 33% of the time. Florida had five. So there was obviously score effects in this game impacting that. But Edmonton, even in the first period, I think had more grade A shots than Florida, if I'm not mistaken. And Florida's went in because they were just, you know, they weren't just five alarm. They were like, like the best shots you're going to get. Just charging right down the middle of the slot. I'm Bam. not covered by nobody, anybody. Nobody checking them. All five pass right on your stick. Pass right on your stick into the slot and you score. Because a forward, some of the owner's best forwards, can't take it upon themselves to, to, to cover the defensive slot um, consistently. So anyway, let's get to our bad things. <laughs> that was a that was a hint of what they're going to be. What's your bad what was thing? Your, what was your good thing? What did I have a good thing? Okay, I'll t- <laughs> I'll take the orders. Uh, sorry, I'll take the orders first goal actually because um, okay. it was actually a, a kind uh, of a good the, thing. The they goal? were briefly the goal. Excuse me. Yeah, first <laughs> and only goal. I better put that in my uh, first and only goal. I write these uh, game grades as the game's going on. So. Um, it was a heck of a goal, actually. It was a beautiful five-man passing play um, in the second period. And uh, it starts off with uh, Evan Bouchard getting the puck and making it maybe the most difficult pass because he's being forechecked a little bit and he passes it really close to the forechecker but gets it by the forechecker. Uh, I think it's to Ekholm that he makes that pass, if I'm not mistaken. Ekholm takes it up the ice. Maybe it's to a forward and then to Ekholm. I'm not. Ex- I can't recall. Anyway, Ekholm takes it in, puts it over to Connor McDavid, who make who Ekholm's passes a bit of a flip, and McDavid knocks it down, controls it, makes a very nice pass to Nugent Hopkins into the slot, and Nugent just quick as you can, puts it over to Hyman, and Hyman um, doesn't shoot. He deeks, and that was probably a good idea because Bob Brofsky was just unreal this game. And Bob Brofsky's momentum didn't really allow him to, when when Hyman was able to execute that deke to his backhand, he was able to score. It was a fantastic play, a beautiful five-man passing play, a great goal. And um, Bob Brofsky, um, he really outplayed Calvin Pickard in this game. Uh, that was his. That was the one time he got beat. The Oilers um, came on in the second period, but they just couldn't, they needed to get that, next goal to make it 3-2 before the third period. But um, it was Kulak who took a really unfortunate uh, penalty and Florida scored on the power play. It was just a weird, and that was a weird goal against, but uh, anyway, Bruce, that's, that's my good thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's your bad thing? Yeah, I'm going to, among all the orders who had a poor game, and I'm going to single out Leon Dreisaitl, who I thought was just had a horrible time of it. His first period may have been the worst period that he's played in years. And it just never really got better for him, although uh, not never got any worse than the first one. He was, uh, by our count, involved in four grade, grade A shots against, two of them resulting in goals. The first goal where, uh, uh, where he got caught 
walking a little bit and hits the guy he should have been covering was hustling to the net and Leon was not hustling in coverage and his man got the pass and slammed it in the net. Uh, and then the third goal where uh, he was sort of standing still when he got the puck in the defensive zone and it got stripped off of him and then he sort of stayed standing still while the play swirled around and again Florida and that one I mean, this wasn't all Leon's fault on really any of them. Like, there was multiple mistakes. But on that one, there was three, count them, three Florida guys in front of the net and no orders between any of them in the net. Leon got in the way of Dreis, of, uh, of um, Ekholm. Uh, Ekholm coming back. I mean, Ekholm. they just kind of, yeah, it was, they kind of, yeah, they both took a bat, uh, yeah. let's put it that way. And and Bouchard was over on the left wing sideboards, playing left wing apparently, covering nobody. And, of course, the goal came from where the right defenseman should have been. So, again, I won't put that all on Leon, but he had a kind of a wretched sequence of misplays. And then, you know, like, he started skating better and trying a bit harder david but it just wasn't there i think we had him in on one uh setting up one grade a shot in the game which is fairly low for him really low like he's like five or six a game usually right so and here this isn't my numbers but it could be dry uh stats in this game minus two no points no shots no hits one takeaway, decent in the face-off circle as usual, although it seemed like there was face-offs lost when they needed to be won. And on his on-ice thing, with, on his uh, on his line, uh, uh, shot attempts 7 to 19, shots on net 4 to 12, and uh, high-danger uh, chances 0 to 8. Like his line just got completely demolished, and he was—he just like the fast twitch muscles weren't firing, the slow twitch muscles weren't firing, and it just was not a game where he just seemed to be in the in the zone, you know. Yeah, he he will have games like this now and then. Yeah, once in a while, you know, it's not in, this bad normally. One but. in ten, maybe. Like, yeah, this was a particularly bad game where he really paid for his mistakes, but. He will have a game like one in 10 where his just legs are not going and you can just see it. Yeah. And I'll tell you, as, as soon as I saw the line matchup, Bruce, early in the game, um, drive saddles line Leon out there against the Kachuk line. I was just thinking, oh, God, you know, because Leon was already mm-hmm. moving slow. And and uh, here's here's what I noticed with him. He What he has to do, because he's not he's listen, when he gets moving, he's fast, obviously. And he's when he has the puck, he's able to stop and start with the puck fairly quickly. Yeah. But his defensive stops and starts aren't that strong. Like he's not on his toes on defense, and like he tends to loop back. Mm-hmm. I just think he has to. He's he's got to recognize what kind of defensive player he is and just play it really conservatively. I think if Leon actually just kind of parked in the slot defensively. He'd have a lot more success on defense, but he likes to kind of range out a little too far and he's not quick enough. Then there's quicker players and those offensive players are hungry, right? They're so hungry to score and he will repeatedly kind of get beat on that in that moment because he's not as quick moving to the puck as the attacker is. So if he just played it a little more conservative and kept himself 
like in the zone, kind of on the right side of his man, you know, between the, his man and the net, rather than ranging out that extra little mm-hmm. bit, as he does repeatedly. He could be a much superior defensive player because he's big and he's strong and uh, he's unafraid to hit people. So that's what I'd like to see. I just think he just needs to just be a bit more conservative in in the defensive slot and he'll have more success. But he's not going to listen to me. <laughs> well, there wasn't so much success to be had there tonight. And uh, I thought on a game where, where several of Edmonton's big players really, really were fighting it, I thought he was fighting it the most. Oh, definitely. The McDavid line was going and they had like McDavid was in on six chances that even strength and Nuge could have scored early in the game. I was hoping beyond all hope that the Oilers would score that first goal because I thought there there seemed a little off. It seemed a little weird in the game early on. I'm just thinking, okay, get the first goal, then you'll have a chance in this one because you're not, you don't look that good. The Oilers didn't look that good. Like, I mean, they they were flying at any point, flying against Tampa Bay, but they, they did not look good in this one at all. And um, the second goal is what I'm going to focus on. It's a similar, it's the same play. Florida mm-hmm. coming out from behind the net, passing through the defenseman. The first time it was Nurse, this time it was CeCe. And this time, instead of Dreisaitl um, not covering the defensive slot, it's Nugent Hopkins. Brandon Montour just moves right in, and mm-hmm. Nugent doesn't cover him. At the same time, I don't know what McDavid was doing, because if he was, if if he thought, if Connor McDavid thought that um, Nugent Hopkins was F1, and, and initially on the play, Nugent Hopkins is down low helping the defenseman, and it might have occurred to McDavid, okay, well, Nuge is, um, he's the guy uh, who's going to play center, cover the defensive slot on this play. But if that's the case, he's got to get over there to, the, to Nugent Hopkins's point and cover him on tour, which he didn't do. So a moment too late, hockey happens fast, even for the very best players in the world. But a moment too late, he notices that Montour is streaking into the slot and there's going to be a pass out and he tries to get there as well, just like Fogel on the first goal. Uh, but it was really Nuge. Like, he he just la- lost his man. And um, you can't allow that kind of, those kind of open looks in the NHL from the slot. If you do, you're really, just early in the game, it's going to, eh, any time in the game. You're asking you're a lot from your goalie. And Picard just didn't have it tonight. He, he didn't, you know, Bobrovsky stopped his breakaway. He stopped mm-hmm. his penalty shot. But the you know the one breakaway that um, that um, uh, in at the end of the second period the fourth goal that um, Picard had he he is it it's Pickard right that Pickard had he was not he didn't he didn't make the save that was typical of the night where Bobrovsky was coming up with huge saves and Pickard was not anyway that second goal was as bad as the first and it was a different cast of characters it was the exact same goal and. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's disappointing because the Oilers had fought so hard to get to real 500 and now they're yep. two games below real 500 and they got to, okay, they got to crank it up again. It's never, they never make it easy on themselves. They never yeah, make it easy yeah. on themselves by, by failing repeatedly to do the hard thing, which is to defend the defensive slot well. It's not easy to do that, but all kinds of teams do it because they realize they can't win by scoring uh, easy goals. There's lots of teams that just are fanatical about defensive mm-hmm. play in the NHL. The owners aren't one of them, and they're not still not close to being one of them, as evidenced by tonight's game. They had it going on for a while. They had a few games like given like twenty-five shots and one or two goals against. They but did. Uh, Fair enough. it's uh that's come screeching to a halt with these last two games against Tampa and Florida. 
and yeah. uh, you know, 39 shots against tonight, and uh, you know, five slot shots that basically all went in, and a few more that didn't. But the, all the goals were scored from basically guys bursting into the slot, getting the yeah. puck, and slamming it into the net. Yeah, it's it's tough, eh? Because you know, it, every team's going to have a stinker game, so we. Like we're making a lot. I'm making a lot of this. I just made a lot of it. Maybe I maybe I should back off that a bit because every te- every team but one in ten games yeah. is going to have an absolute stinker. The Oilers didn't have one against Tampa Bay. They just they they lost the game. They should have won because they Vasilevsky was out of this world good. Right. But this really was a stinker game. It's one in ten. Hopefully they'll move past it quickly and recover their form. They've got to obviously, yeah. and I think they will because they know that and they're capable of doing it. So. I shouldn't make too much of it, but I'm I'm a little bit have a little bit of worry about defensive problems because uh-huh. this is the problem with the Oilers. It is the reason they got off to such a terrible start. That and goaltending and injury. And if but this is one they can correct, but they got to do it. Yeah. Well, I said to my son, this was a game. That I said they could have played that game a hundred times and they would have lost all hundred of them. I mean, if, <laughs> in terms of what they had for this particular game, the great Casey Stengel uh, used to say. Thing about baseball, he says at the beginning of the season, this one was 154 games. He said, There's 50 games you're going to lose for sure, there's 50 games you're going to win for sure, and it's what you do in the other 54 games that sort of makes the difference on whether you've had a successful season. And this was one of the 50 that the Oilers were going to lose for sure, they just didn't have it, and they were playing against a hungry, talented uh, opponent who were desperate to turn around their own short losing streak, and they, you know. Florida played well, credit where due, and Florida had a $10 million goalie, and Edmonton had a $775,000 goalie, and that kind of shone through a little bit, too. That's true, Bruce. Okay, what is your number? Yeah, I'll go with 15, which was uh, the number of consecutive games where Edmonton scored three-plus goals. 15 games in a row, the Oilers scored three, three or more goals including every game under Chris Knobloch and, of course, the swan song of uh, Jay Woodcroft that they won in Seattle 4-1. Uh, four weeks ago tonight, I think the announcers were saying, or the five, five weeks ago, and it was a Saturday night game, and that was the end of Jay. Well, that was the first of 15 straight where Edmonton scored three, and most of those games they got four and sometimes more than that. And so for such an extended period of well over a month, to always put at least three on the board. It's going to keep you competitive, even in games where your defensive hockey is not the best. Like, you know, on that uh, road trip where they lost in Tampa and Florida, it was like 6-4, 5-3, you know, but they were, you know, a pulled goalie goal away from tying both of those games. And tonight, for the first time, they uh, – just didn't have it going on offensively either. And much of that was Bobrovsky, but a lot of it was Edmonton just was not sharp. And I just didn't think they had any any sort of uh, zone pressure for any extended period of time. And there was the, the passing other than the one goal, which was pretty, but it wasn't it wasn't sharp and they, they just they just didn't have it. My my number, Bruce, is kind of a weird one because um, I thought Ryan McLeod had a really poor game. I didn't notice him at all. He wasn't making an impact. Um, he wasn't doing anything of note at all. 
But when I looked at the stat sheet, he'd won uh, 14 of 16 face-offs. And often, um, very often, face-offs can be indicative of a player's battle level in a game. You know, there's there seems to be a correlation between someone who wins a lot of face-offs and has a then really a good game battling for the puck. We've noted that before. Maybe we just notice it when when those two things align and it's it's actually not a real thing. But tonight it wasn't because McLeod won those battles. But man, he, he just he's got to get in the game. He is he's got to get in the game, Bruce, because he is not bringing it this year. And I know he was hurt at the start of the year, but uh, he's got to find a way to make more of an impact. He's been one of the he's been one of the major disappointments of the season, obviously, and and uh, tonight was part of that. But he did win 14 out of 16 faceoffs. Six out of six on the penalty kill. Maybe he had some. Often. Well, he had some good moments on the kill, but he also had that moment where he failed to ice the puck uh, when oh, he had oh, a, on the yes on the faceoffs. So he was like, yeah, he was good perfect. on the faceoffs. Yeah. On the PK. The Oilers as a team won 40 and lost 22. And uh, there are nights where the, this is the one battle that actually gets recorded on the stat sheet. And some nights it kind of serves as a proxy for battles and some nights it don't. Tonight it definitely didn't because the Oilers did not win the majority of other battles. But they won nearly two-thirds of all face-offs, uh, 65%. So odd stat for sure as you point out. Bruce, let's move to the conundrum and I'll let you introduce the conundrum since you thought it up. What is tonight's conundrum? Uh, conundrum is anti-Ranta. Carolina Hurricanes was placed on waivers today. <clears throat> Ranta is a 34-year-old uh, with 265 games of NHL experience dating back uh, uh, this is his 11th season. Uh, he's been a backup. He's had some injury problems over the years. Uh, but he's been a very good goalie with a career save percentage of 915. 915. Uh, last year, 9.10. Year before, 9.12. Year before that, 9.05. Year before that, 9.21. You know, like he consistently has put, put up the numbers. Uh, but this year in 14 games for Carolina Hurricanes, uh, he is 8.54, which is like worse than... I think just about the worst in the NHL of, of any goalie that's played any number of games. And Carolina had, uh, you know, they have multiple options on net, and I guess they just decide to pull the plug. Now, what I don't know is there's anything going on behind the scenes, but $1.5 million, uh, there's a scenario where the orders put in a claim on that guy, uh, and assuming nobody ahead of him, does the same thing and gets them. And to pay him, they would simply have to send out uh, two minimum uh, contracts, which would obviously be Calvin Pickard and most likely Adam Ernie, uh, sent out to go back to a 21-man roster, but to bring in a you know, a proven, established, experienced NHL goaltender. And a little tiny part of me, when I saw him on waivers this morning, I thought, well, you know, the orders owe... Um, they really do owe Calvin Pickard another start. Like, they, it would be unfair to Pickard if the Oilers were to go out and find some other goalie and just send him out after he played so well in this, you know, his last start. And I thought, geez, if they were interested in Ranta, the first thing they should do is actually play Pickard tonight 
and at nothing if nothing else they can say well you know you did get another game but also you know let's closely study and see if maybe this is the, they've already got the guy that they need and anyway sure enough he did wind up starting he wrote a fine post about the Oilers goaltending situation and the uh uh, decisions uh, uh, that they're trying to deal with. Well, Pickard was no shining star tonight, you know, and like, no way, I'm not blaming him for the loss, not even a little tiny bit. I'm just saying he didn't stand out any, in any real significant way. Would say 11 grade A shots, five went in. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, yeah, they were tough shots. Fun. The goals were tough shots. And meanwhile, down in the farm, Jack Campbell, uh, the uh, the goalie on a, a rehabilitation assignment, uh, had another step backwards tonight, uh, starting the game in Bakersfield, facing 21 shots and allowing four of the four of them as goals. And from what I understand, I've yet to see any video, so I'm just repeating. Yeah, it. yeah. I heard, heard that the okay. second, third, and fourth goals were all essentially brutal. <sighs> And he's just just not showing any signs of getting it together. And so the orders are now at this point where, well, they got Calvin Pickard up here. They have Olivia Rodrigue down on the farm, you know, not even playing hardly any games because Jack Campbell, they're trying to rehab him and his game. And meanwhile, folks are getting concerned about Stu Skinner being overworked. And, you know, he started 20 out of the Oilers' 28 games to this point. And so they need a goalie. And it's quite clear they need a goalie. Now, is Antti Ranta that goalie? It would be a hell of a gamble. But right now, as of now, without knowing if other teams have maybe put in a claim on him, he's available. And they could get him. And they could afford him without having to, you know, give up draft picks and futures and a whole bunch of other assets that they don't have enough of already, you know, to bring in a, a goalie. He's a goalie. So, and he's been a good goalie. Mostly. You know, anti Ranta. Like last year, he was a good goalie. And, uh, but he is 34 and we don't know about injury. So, um, suddenly good goalies can become terrible goalies with injury when they're age 34. It's not an uncommon story. The only here's what I would say, Bruce. Like it's it's an intriguing idea, and for I'm not even going to ask you yes or no because I don't think that's right. a fair question because we're not in a position to we're not because I'm here's saying what the I, Oilers have to look at it. That's all I'm going to yeah, say. Yeah, that's right. So I'm not going to ask you yes or no because I don't actually think you either you or I could give a credible answer to that. And the reason is this: that not only do we not haven't been scouting Ranta and know whether he's injured or not, but more than that. There's a number of NHL goalies, NHL teams right now that have th- kind of three NHL goalies. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's Calgary and there's Columbus and there's Buffalo, I understand. And now, some of them, these goalies are all struggling, but some of them make less. Like, you have to figure, okay, some of them have three. You'd have to look at all the NHL teams that have three goalies on their roster right now and think, okay, who is going to crack first? Well, Carolina did. They sent theirs down, but maybe maybe someone else is going to get tired of carrying three and send theirs down. Is that going to come soon? If if it's soon enough, um, because some of those the, the goalie gets sent down might not make one point five million. The problem with Ranta is if he doesn't work out, and then you send him to the farm, you're going to have to eat four hundred thousand dollars, three hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars. So yeah. that's the negative. Because so there's a downside of, of rolling the dice. 
Whereas for some of these other goalies, there won't be that. They'll they'll earn less than that. Is it 1.15 million? Um, that that can be covered if you send the guy down. So that's probably like if if he was less, if he was 350 thousand dollars less, I think you'd say yes. You why not take the gamble? Because then it's just Daryl Cates' money, and it's not my money. And uh, I would I would hope that they would take that gamble because of his cap hit and the fact that he might not pan out. Now you're stuck with Campbell in the minors. You're stuck with then Ranta in the minors if he doesn't pass out. It's it, uh, um, uh, play uh, play his way into the job. So it's a tough um, call in that regard, Bruce, because there's that little that might not be there with another team, and that's the knowledge you really have to have if you're Ken Holland. How likely it is another is another NHL quality goalie going to get sent down who makes less money, who has is as good a bet as Ranta. Although, like, Ken Holland likes his veterans. He sure does. And, um, you know, you can see him being enticed by Ranta, but um, maybe there's someone else. Yeah, well, he's played for Chicago Rangers, Arizona, and the last three years for Carolina. And he's only had one one year where he was a starting goalie, and he was kind of a 1A in Arizona one year. Otherwise, he's always like 25 games or so, like your standard classic backup goalie. And he's gotten paid yeah. like a backup goalie. But, he, you know, he's an experienced backup goalie with a long history of good numbers. So the two things you don't know is, well, the two facts that we have is that this year he's got an 854 save percentage. And the other fact is we know that Carolina has suddenly tired of him enough just to wave him. And sometimes that's a sign, and, and other GMs say, "Well, if uh, if uh, uh, Joe Blow in in uh, whatever NHL city doesn't think he's an NHL player anymore, why? Who am I to say that he's wrong?" And so, often it's just sort of the default is is just to defer to the decision to, made by the team that's cutting the guy loose in the first place like they actually it actually counts as a strike against the guy that his nhl team thought he wasn't good enough so those are the two facts that we have and how much they may have scouted the guy uh i couldn't say remember the, the, the one of the funny facts of tonight's game is the backup goalie for florida this year is anthony stolars <laughs> who has a 915 safe percentage in Former nine games. Oiler. And the orders had him in 2018-19. Um, I can't remember Cam the. Talbot. Oh, is that what it was? So yeah, when it was Philly, Flyers. When traded Talbot to Philly. And he's, and he's as a he captain. is he's had 90 NHL games, Stolars, and he's got a 912 safe percentage in, in 90 NHL games. So he's kind of um, that's that's one that got away. But this happens with goalies, mm-hmm. and you just never know, right? When when someone's going to suddenly get his game together and start playing well at the NHL level. It, it, it can come seemingly out of somewhat nowhere. But um, anyway, Bruce, yeah, I, I don't think they're going to go for Ranta because of his, his salary. I think they're mm-hmm. going to wait for another goalie to get waived who's having similar kind of maybe slightly better results at a lesser pay, and then they'll, they, they would grab that guy. But then other teams might want him too, so. Yeah, well, there's going to be no perfect solution. What I can tell you is that the uh, here's a third fact: the acquisition cost of Ranta is strictly only the cost of his contract. That yes. you, know, you won't have to give up assets to get the guy. Yeah. So. Maybe they should call up Olivier Rodrigue 
And um, this year in six games, Olivier Rodrigue has a 935 save percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, well, they, they tend to go ahead, Bruce. He played half the game tonight, 29 minutes, 16 shots, one goal against. All right. So um, he's having a good year. And um, why not try him out as your backup in Edmonton? Um, it's not a bad with with Campbell playing the way he's playing. You you really can't like. There's been all this talk. They'll give Campbell another chance. Well, that's that's getting pushed further down the road. But it's not good for Rodrigue to sit. Um, I guess he, if he came to Edmonton, he'd also sit. Maybe <laughs> Campbell should go to the ECHL. Um, so Rodrigue can play. And get him ready for a tryout here in Edmonton. Because he's been a pro now. This is his uh, fourth one, two, fourth season for Rodrigue. Um, it's it's not his save percentage in uh, 29 games last year was 9-12, Rodrigue. Yeah. So um, you could do worse than giving him a try. Anyway, that might be another option. But no one's talking about it. Except for us now and then. Well, some people talk about it online. Well, but, he's he's in his fourth year as pro. Yeah. He's in the exact spot where Stu Skinner was two years ago when Stu played 13 games for the Oilers, you know, as a, as a caddy for Mike Smith and Mikko Koskinen. And Smith, of course, was dealing with injury, so uh, Skinner yeah. had a long stretch of time with that team. And he was almost ready then. Well, uh, Rodriguez, we don't know if he's almost ready, uh, but he sure is putting up a long 11 straight games over 900 in the AHL dating back to last year, and most of them over 925. And, uh, you know, you don't know what you have until maybe you try and find out. Uh, I do know he's like two years older than Andy Moog was when uh, he was given a chance with the Oilers in 1981. as a 21-year-old, you know. And Grant Fuhr was even in the younger, playoffs. Huh? Yeah, Grant Fuhr was even younger. Yeah, the next year. He, he, he was the first out. round pick, at least. Andy Moe was, you know, sort of a guy that they picked in the in the seventh round. And at 21, they thought, let's give him a look, because we don't like what we have. And the, they had Gary Edwards on the team. They had a couple guys hurt. And uh, and Sather took the big risk and paid the big reward. I'm not saying... Rodriguez Moe, I'm just not not saying. <laughs> Will he play tomorrow night? Does Bakersfield have a game tomorrow night? Do we know uh, that? I do not know that. It's not necessary to find out, but they often do play back-to-back games in the AHL, so uh, schedule, let's see. Because if he has another, let's say Rodriguez has a good game, maybe yeah, you can call play, him up. They don't play they don't. again until Wednesday. Oh, okay. Too bad. All right, Bruce. I missed one. Let's leave it there. Let's leave it there, David. Let's leave it there, Bruce. Thanks for talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between time, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>